the book of Malachi is one of those minor prophets. It's one of those strange little books uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. And it's, uh, when you read them, you, you just kind of, well, what, what on earth do I do with this? Uh, they're small and they just seem so far away and so distant. And uh, how, how, on earth, how on earth do I relate to Malachi? Uh, how do I relate to this Old Testament prophet? Well, let me suggest that a way of relating to Malachi is to see him as a doctor. And we, looked at, we considered that last time I was here. When you read Malachi, I want you to think of him as a doctor. He's a cardiologist. He's a doctor of the heart. Okay. So he's a, he's a doctor of the heart, the spiritual heart. Now, he is not the consultant. The consultant is God. But he stands between the patient and the consultant. Sometimes the consultant speaks. In fact, 40% of this book is the consultant speaking, God himself speaking. But I want you to think about it in that way. Now, the first test that Malachi applies as the registrar, we'll call him a registrar, you come in and you say, look, I'm, I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm fed up. And I, he says, well, what, what, what's the problem? He says, you know, I, I have no assurance. I just don't feel loved and cared for. And he, has, he deals with that. Now, I'm not going to go over that again. There's a video online and you can look at that. The second time you appear at the consultant. Now we're appearing at the consultant for the second time. And this time the issue is not assurance. The issue now is faith and praise and worship. I don't enjoy worship like I used to. Going to church is boring. The preaching is boring and the hymns are boring. And no matter how hard I try... And no matter how much the church spices and whooshes things up, I just, I just don't get anything from it. In fact, I just find it hard and difficult, and, and I just, I, I, I'm just wearied by it, is actually the word that they use. I'm wearied by it. That's Malachi. Is it you? Is it you? Now, I'm going to do it very simply again. The presenting symptoms, like when you go to a doctor, this is how I feel, this is what's going on. Then we'll look at the illness, then we'll look at the remedy or the treatment. The presenting symptoms. I wasn't sure how to deal with this. Um, but I'll, I'll, deal, I'll deal with it in this way. Uh, come with me. So there's Dr. Malachi, uh, the, the registrar, and uh, we'll, give, we'll give his patient a name. We'll call him Amos. I, oh, there's no one here called Amos. I was going to call him Moses, but I know there's someone here called Moses, so I won't call him Moses. We'll call him Amos. Amos comes to the consultant, uh, to the consulting room, and he, he sees the registrar and he says, you know, doctor, I, I, just, I just don't enjoy worship anymore. It's boring and it's, it's grieving. And, and this consultant, Malachi, well, he's got a little bit of time. He's not like the ones in our NHS. He's not overworked and over, overrun. He says, well, I'll tell you what, Amos. What if I meet you next Saturday morning, which is their Sunday? Okay. What if I meet you outside your house and I'll go with you to the temple, to the church, and, I'll, and we'll spend some time together and we'll go together to the temple, to the church, and we'll see what's happening. 
and I'll, and I'll be able to watch you and I'll be able to watch what's going on and, and we'll, we'll do it like that. Amos goes, great idea. Thank you, Malachi, for agreeing to do that. This is all my imagination, you know, but I'm taking it from the text. Okay, so it is in the text. So the next Saturday, uh, Amos is leaving his house and, and Malachi's there and uh, they're, they're about to go up to the temple. Now, uh, Amos has got to take a sacrifice up to the temple, a sacrifice for sin, because in the week he has sinned like we all sin. And he doesn't have Jesus Christ as his known saviour. He has to take an Well, oh, don't worry, God's dealing with the priests. God's dealing with the priests. But your worship is lazy. You despise the Lord's table. You, you, you produce and you give polluted fruit. And you're even stealing. You're, even, you're, you're not even giving your own animals. You're stealing. You're stealing from others to give to God. How's that, how's that even acceptable? The focus of Malachi is on the appointed as you read it. It's on the appointed leaders. But there is that connection between the people and the leaders, that symbiosis, that, that necessary connection between leaders and people. The problem is that the worship is empty and it's lazy. And will God, will such a gift be received from God of you? A service of worship is two-sided. Now, now here we are, and we don't have a temple, do we? We're not marching to a temple and we don't have lambs in the field, do we? Sadly, I'd quite like a few lambs. I, I, could, I, could, I could go back to having a few lambs in the field, but we don't have a few lambs in our field. Unfortunately, uh, in God's mercy, we don't have to sacrifice an animal. We know that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, and, and so we don't have to sacrifice an animal because Christ has died for our sins. But there is a requirement of us to come to worship God there is a, a requirement offers to offer him the praise of our hearts and our voices, the love and affection of our hearts. There is an expectation that we will give back to God something of the good that he's given to us. We call it collection. But it doesn't necessarily, or, or offering, it doesn't necessarily need to be money. It can be time. It can be love. It can be care. It can be service in the church. But having given us so much, is God not deserving of something back from us? Is he not a master? Are we not his disciples? And it comes to a head in the service of worship. Do we come to praise God, to honor God, to give him our very best? Or is our worship cheap? And then do we complain that it's it's the one at the front who's boring and rubbish, and it's the person choosing the hymns. They're boring, boring. If they chose happier hymns or different hymns or ones I liked, and if the minister spoke different, and that, then everything would be wonderful. No, the problem is the heart. The problem is the heart. Ultimately, it comes down to who you're worshiping. And there is also this connection between God and man, or mankind, men and women, in worship. 
And as we come to worship God, and as we come to praise God, we give of ourselves. We give of our voices, we give of our time, and we give of, of our money. And we, we praise and we come to honor and worship God. And we come, especially at the communion, to remember the sacrifice for our sin. And we praise and honor God, and we take together the communion, and we say, Jesus died for me, and we say that I'm in a living relationship now with God, I'm in a new community, I'm in a new kingdom, and we, we praise God. And as we do that, when we do it aright, God, in a remarkable way, meets with us. You know that time when you came to church and you left the building and you said, I've met with God. I've met with God. There wasn't lights or a hand on the wall writing or anything like that. There's something remarkable and spiritual that happens in a worship service. And you walk away and you know that you've met God. You've had dealings with God. The dealings have been in your heart and in your mind and upon your will. And you've left the building and said, look, something happened today. And I am more assured now that God is real than I was when I walked in the door. And I'm more assured that he loves me than when I walked in the door. And I'm more assured that I'm on the right path than I walked in the door. And I'm more assured that he has pleasure in me than when I walked in the door. There is that remarkable relationship. But when it's missing, the services are empty. And there's nothing you can do to fill them. And there's nothing a preacher can say and there's nothing a musician can do. You can pep things up and make it interesting, maybe a bit more interesting, which is always nice. But the real heart matters are not dealt with. You know, you, can, you could go to a, a church, let's say in the middle of Africa, in a mud hut, with people just singing and banging drums, because uh, that's the only instrument they have, and come out knowing you've met with God. And you could go into cathedral with violins and orchestras and the most m m remarkable musical instruments in the world and musicians in the world and come out empty. It, it's about the heart. About the heart. And this was a problem here about the heart. Worship was cheap and shallow. It was self-righteous. It was proud. It was vain. It was vain. God says it's vain. Verse 10, God says it's profane and polluted, despised. Verse 13, it's wearying. Well, that's what people said, it's wearying. And God says, well, this is the problem. This is a problem. Now, now the illness, what's the illness behind this? What causes this, this attitude to praise and to worship that makes what should be a lively, joyful, invigorating meeting with God? Why This meeting should be a lively, enjoyable, invigorating, well, maybe not always enjoyable, sometimes challenging meeting with God. Now, now what disease is there that stops it being so? What disease is it that, that makes someone think that it's okay to, to take something stolen and, and, and give it in the collection? What, makes it, what, what is there about someone that makes them think that? Well, well the illness, what's the cause behind it? It's a spiritual sickness. It's a spiritual sickness, and it's a sickness of the heart. Something has infected 
the leaders and the congregation, which has made it more dangerous. It's very dangerous when both the leaders and the congregation are, are affected by this spiritual sickness. If only one side is affected, then it can challenge the other side. But when both sides are affected, it, it, is, it is so dangerous. What is it? What is it? Well, it's something that they fail to see. Because they say, what's wrong? I don't see anything wrong. So let's recognize that first of all. The, the people are blind to their own failings, to their own coldness of heart. They don't get it. They say, well, how have we despised you, Lord? How have we polluted your altar? How, how, how have we done that? How have we done that? They, they're, they have become so used to cheap, unacceptable, false religion, they fail to see it for what it is. They're completely blind to it. They're so used to it. Malachi says, here's the problem. It's a failure to see sin, God, and holiness. First, you don't consider God to be worthy of honor. You've lost that view of God where he is high and lifted up and you are a creature. Somehow, you've brought him down and you've lifted yourself up. But actually, God is high and lifted up and he is separate from you. And he is holy, and he is pure, and you are a sinful creature. And part of the problem is that we, we collapse them, don't we? And we think, well, God's just like me. No, no, no. No, he's not, he's not just like you. He is God. He is high and lifted up. He is holy. He is pure. Even the angels around him barely dare look at him, and they are pure. In fact, we're told that a number of them cover their eyes and cover their feet. And just cry all day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And that's their joy to do so. And we are sinners. And we fail to understand that. But not only that, God is not considered awesome or fearful. No, and we think God will accept anything. We know God is loving. We know God is loving because he's loved us. So he's got to be loving because we're not very lovable. But then we push it a bit further and we say, well, God will accept anything. God will accept anything because he's loving. Well, he is loving. He is loving, but he doesn't accept anything. He is pure. He has high standards. And again, we've lost that. My God is a loving God, so I can do what I want because he'll keep loving me. Well, you know, that's the wrong way of thinking. My God is a loving God, so I should do what he wants. He's a holy God, so I should be pure. He's a gracious God, so I should be gracious. He's a holy God, so I should be holy. And then we consider also that sin isn't serious. Any old sacrifice will do. Uh, sin isn't very serious, and, and, and Jesus Christ isn't that important. Any old sacrifice will do, and, and I, I'm sure I could please him and I'm sure I could I'm sure of things I can do in my life that could get me back into God's good books no 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 you, 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 you your sin is serious and you cannot earn your way to heaven you, you have to come to Jesus Christ and again and again you have to come to him and confess your sins 
Accept that you are a sinner. Accept that the only hope is that the Son of God would die on your behalf, the pure and perfect sacrifice. And we start to forget these things. And we, we become lazy. And then we start to think that what matters is what we do more than the heart behind it. Okay? As long as I give God a lamb, was Amos's thinking, that'll do. As long as I do something, as long as I act, as long as I pray, as long as I do something, that's all that matters. But for God, the heart matters. The heart matters. For from the heart come the actions. And if your heart is not right with God and you're still trying to do religious acts, from what heart is that? The heart of self-righteousness? The heart of I can save myself? The heart of anything else any old thing can do? So the heart matters. This sickness comes down to the heart. And then this sickness fails to see the effect of our witness before a watching world. And we start to think it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. In fact, when God starts to deal with it in chapter two, in chapter one, at the end of chapter one, he says, you know, my name will be great among the nations, but you profane it. What a terrible state we're in when a church or churches or denominations, as the world looks at them, they think they're no better than us. Their morals are no better than ours. Their actions are no better than ours. They're just like us. And God says, my name is great, and my people should be great, and separate from the world. And so the illness, the illness is, is a heart illness. It's about honoring God. It's about praising God. It's, it's about recognizing and confessing sin. It's about dealing with it in the right way. It's about going to God in Jesus' name. It's about, again, reminding ourselves that we're saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not by our own works. About those matters, that sin is serious and holiness is serious. That God is loving but fearful. Awesome. Who are we worshipping? How high are his standards? How costly the remedy for sin? These are questions we ask. You know, when we come into the church, a worship service is dependent upon that in your heart. Who am I approaching? What's he like? What am I like? How high is he? How low am I? Makes a huge difference. What is the sacrifice for sin? How do I approach him? That, that, that's worship. What does he deserve from me? How should I respond to him? If he's my heavenly father, do I have that family familial love if he is my master which he is and he is my heavenly father do i am i obedient to him and, and that sits at the heart of our worship services and if we're struggling in our services that's where the problem is it's not the hymns choices and it's it's, it's well i hope it isn't it isn't the preachers and what they're preaching i hope that they're opening the word of god and, and explaining it simply and the problem's the heart. The problem's the heart. Well, Amos, 
what do I do? Yes, says to Malachi, what do I do? How do I, how, how do I put this right? I can see there's truth in what you say. And yes, I'm, I can see there's truth. What, what, what do we do? What do we do? Well, you, you, you repent of your sins. Maybe you need to get back down the road with a, your best lamb and go and give it to that man who you stole that wretched lamb off, you know? Return. Confess your sin. Put right your walk. The danger is that we ignore the warnings and we just carry on and we try and reform the practices but not the heart. Amos could have said, well, maybe if next week I took a good sheep, you know, would that be all right? Would that, would that, would that do it? No, it's your heart. It's your heart that matters. It's about your heart. We, we, we sometimes think, well, uh, maybe we could improve the worship service by adding something or, or, or making it more interactive or do, doing, you know, that's not the problem. The heart is the problem. The heart is the problem. Start with the heart. So, so Malachi uh, in this speaks to the leaders and the people and to the people through the leaders. Chapter 2, which is why I go into chapter 2. You need to start listening. Verse 1, listen. Sorry, verse 2. Listen, take to heart, he says, chapter 2, verse 2, to the priests and through the priests to the people. Take to heart, listen, take to heart, give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. First of all, get right your thinking. God is high and lifted up and I am a sinner. Get that right. Start to see things in that way. Start to acknowledge God as high and lifted up and yourself as low and sinners. Start there. Acknowledge him in his holiness. Take it to heart. It, it means not just your head, but within your soul. You know, well, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, you read your Bible and you pray and you ask, Lord, show me yourself in your glory. Show me yourself in your, your, as, your, as one who is high and lifted up. When I come into the services in the church, lift yourself up before us. Let us see you in all your glory. Let us sing songs of praise that lift you up, that glorify, that honor you, that separate you from us. When we come to worship, that our worship songs are separate God as the one to be worshipped. And then he says to Levi and the, the priests, you know, uh, renew your covenant, one of life and peace. Uh, put right the wrong. Return to me. Start to do the right things. So this heart and then the actions that come from it. Start to do the right things. Put right the wrong. If you need to close the door as the leader of the church, then you close the door rather than let anything happen. Rather than let any old rubbish happen. You've got to learn to start closing the door. But what if, what if, what if the church goes down to just me closing the door? Well, if that honors God, then that honors God. It's not about numbers. It's, it's about the heart. And so honor me and be prepared to step out in faith and be prepared to say this is wrong. Be prepared to say this is right. And be able to do so without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. And he speaks to the leaders. And he said, you know, if you want life and joy and blessing for your ministry, then honor me. And call on the people to honor me. And ask the people to honor me. And then speak truth. 
2 verse 6, give true instructions. 2 verse 6, walk in the way of peace. So speak and act in the right way. Guard knowledge. The people should look to you for instruction, he says to the priests. But we don't have priests, but we have appointed by God church leaders, elders, de deacons, elders, pastors, whatever you want to call uh, the, the various roles. And each one has a part and each one has a role. And uh, you fulfill your roles, honoring God and praising him. So the antidote is to start with the heart, but it moves to the action. It starts with honoring and praising God. It starts with seeing us as we truly are as sinners before a holy God. And then it starts by working that out. If there are things that we do that are dishonoring to God, we stop doing them. If there are wrongs that need to be righted, we, we, wrong, we, right, we wrong the rights. We right the wrongs, don't we? we yeah, we do. Um, we right the wrongs. Two R's in one, in one sentence isn't great, especially when one... Oh, I'm going to confuse myself and show my ignorance. One begins with an R and one begins with a W, doesn't it? Which makes it even more confusing. We right the wrongs, don't we? We right the wrongs. We stop the bad practice. We seek to do what is pure and true and holy. Maybe there are times when we just narrow things down to the very simplest things, you know? Just to, to, to do the very simplest things and to do them well. Our church services are generally very simple, aren't they? I mean, I can't see how we narrow them down much more, but there's a wisdom in that. There's a wisdom. The attraction of the church service is God. And when we lose that, we've lost everything. The attraction of the church service is God. The praise and adoration of God. That's the attraction. That's what will bring people. That's what will keep them coming back again and again and again. And that's where the battle lies. Because the danger is that we make the attraction of the church service. Flowery preaching. I don't think we're going to go down that line, are we? Uh, we make the attraction of the church. Well, I don't know. We're going to, great orchestras. We don't, we're not going to go down that line. I like good preaching and I like good orchestras. But the attraction ultimately is God. I want to be with God. And I want to meet with him. And I want to praise and worship him. Have we lost our first love? Let me conclude very quickly. Has another captured our heart? Do we need to repent, seek forgiveness? Do we need to, again, start to walk the right path? If Sunday is dull, wearisome, a burden, if the hymns don't move you, if the prayers don't grip you, if the message doesn't interest and inspire you, ask first and foremost, is it my heart? Is it my heart? Is my private prayer and communion with God strong? Is it my heart? Do I praise him and worship him when not in a church service? Is it my heart? Do I give him the best I have to give whenever I have an opportunity? Is it my heart? Well, Dr. Malachi, he sends off Amos and he sends us off. He closes the door. And he says, I'll see you again. Let's pray. Lord, may our service and our worship services be to you a joy, for they, may they come from pure hearts, 
from loving hearts, from faithful hearts, from hearts that are prepared to sacrifice time and effort, from hearts that do not take any joy in wrong but rejoice in right, uh, from hearts that love to praise you and to lift you up before a watching world. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. We have a hymn. When trials come, no longer fear. praise for the Ephesian people, a, a lovely prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. 
And so to him who is able to do incomparably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.